the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cap number 250 for Wednesday, March 17th. Happy St. Patrick's Day, 2010. Welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab. I am Dave Hamilton coming to you from a hotel room just south of the center of Austin, Texas on this uh, on this beautiful spring day here in, in Texas. And on the other mm-hmm. end of the Skype line, assuming the Skype line works on this hotel bandwidth is... Uh, it sounds good so far. And this is John F. Run here in Fairfield, Connecticut. You know, Dave, if I didn't know better, I'd say you're probably at this thing called uh, South by Southwest. I am. Yep. And and it's we're we're in um we're in limbo here, which is why I had this pocket of time to do this podcast. So the South by Southwest Festival is actually three different conferences or shows that happen uh all kind of in a string and they and they slightly overlap each other. Um there's there's the film conference which sort of is concentrated toward the beginning of the festival which started I think last Thursday. Uh, and then uh, the, but it, but it sort of extends throughout the the festival. Then there's the interactive festival, which I think starts started Friday and ended last night. And then uh, starting today or this afternoon and into this evening is the music festival, where tons and tons of bands come to uh, to Austin. Thousands of bands come to Austin to play. Um, and and if you've listened to the show for a couple, you know, more than a year, you've heard me talk about this. But uh, I think last year I saw twenty eight bands in four days. So that that starts tonight, and uh, it's a it's a fun show. Um, it, you know, it's it's interesting. The interactive portion of South by Southwest is the the youngest portion. Um, I think it's less than ten years old, and um, it it's interesting. It has grown by leaps and bounds over the last couple of years, John, and. The the, it, the there's it it's definitely showing some growing pains this year. Uh, the first is that the Austin Convention Center, and I'll talk about the negative things since it seems like that's the path I'm on. But then I'll also talk about the positives. Um, the the Austin Convention Center, I I think it was designed to host multiple small trade shows, but it it it's definitely it fails miserably at hosting one large trade show that takes over the whole thing. It, it, and it's going to sound like a joke what I'm about to say, John, but it, I, and I wish it was. It's very difficult to find the third floor. Uh, you can get from the first floor to the second floor to the fourth floor. Uh, actually, I guess there is no second floor, or if there is, that's even harder to find. But you can get from the first floor to the fourth floor, no problem. The third floor is this elusive kind of place, and yet there are meeting rooms there. And I, I think if it if there were maybe two separate shows happening and they could compartmentalize them, it would be great because you'd never run into the people that were at one show or the other or the third. But uh, when you get out of a session and you have to go from you know somewhere on the fourth floor to somewhere on the third floor, it, it this can be a, a, a ten or fifteen minute affair. Is, uh, is there an app for that? Uh, you know, I, there is an app for South by Southwest, but it it doesn't it doesn't answer the. Uh, the, the the main question of mystery, which is how do I get to the third floor? Oh, okay. Because MacWorld, I remember they they did a I think a fine job of having an app that would have, well. Then again, it was on one floor. It's in, it wasn't too tough to get around. It, yeah, well, and it's in a trade. It's in a convention center hall that was built properly. Uh, this place, I don't know. It's weird. And in order to get from the fourth floor to the third floor, the only way I've figured out how to do it, you can find an elevator. There's one elevator bank that will do it, um, and. Otherwise, you've got to go to a, a stairwell that's outside. Hmm. It's really weird. So anyway, the the you know the, the size constraints uh, are, are a problem because now not only does the show take over the entire Austin Convention Center, it actually has spilled out in two directions into uh, at least two different hotels that I've had to experience. And where that gets to be a problem is in the second growing pain that I'm seeing. Uh, the way that they do sessions here. Now the sessions kind of range all over the place, but, uh, in, in subject matter, but there's a strong focus in the whole social media interactive space. Um, you know, for example, uh, yesterday I saw uh, a session, one session on, on internet radio advertising. Uh, I, I saw another one on, uh, content. Actually, I saw a couple on different content management systems, 
Um, you know, there, there's, and, and then there's, you know, uh, uh, how to use Twitter to do customer service, that sort of thing. So these are the types of sessions that, that, uh, that happen here, but the way that they go about choosing them, uh, is interesting. What they do is you submit and you say, I want to put on, uh, this session X, Y, or Z at South by Southwest. And they say, great. And they put that up on the web and then they say, okay, uh, everybody that's going to come to South by Southwest, come to our website and vote on the sessions that you want based on the description or who's giving it or, or both. And I think that worked out really well in the early days. But now what happens is there is a, um, it, it essentially has become a popularity contest, right? So you get a lot of people that are picked by, in fact, often by people that aren't even attending, right? Just they're being picked by their fans um, to do a session and, and you're picking the person over the content uh, or even over the person's ability to effectively deliver that content in a, a, a set, you know, a seminar or, or training type of setting, as opposed to a podcast, if they're a popular podcaster or a, in a blog, if they're a popular blogger. And so you get, you get sessions that on the surface sound really, really good. And you get five minutes in and you realize, Oh no, no, this isn't going to work. And, and that, that's always been fine because you just can bail out. I always book three sessions at the same time slot. In fact, what I do is I go through the list of sessions and I just check off the ones that I want to see with no regard for when they are. And then I, and then I see my schedule and it's like, okay, well, I've got, you know, two sessions that I want to see at this time slot four at that time slot. Great. Uh, you know, I'll pick the one that sounds the best. I'll go to it. And then if it sucks, I just bounce out and go to the next one. Well, this year, because it's so big, you know, bouncing out and go to the next one might mean walking four blocks from one hotel past the convention center, you know, around the corner to another hotel. Uh, and, and so that can eat up a lot of time. Mm, so, sounds like a blog world in Vegas a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, but well, blog world in Vegas, the, it, it, it in and of itself was very well contained. Uh, it's just getting to, you know, getting around to that portion of the convention center was, was difficult. But, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. They have moved, and Blog World this year uh, will be at the Mandalay Bay in Vegas and not at the Las Vegas Convention Center, which I think is a much Ooh. better choice for them uh, for exactly that reason. Uh, okay. So, to me, yeah. the pain was going between hotels. I mean, they appear to be close together, mm. but everything – Well, that's always going to happen in Vegas regardless of where you are, yeah. right? You know, unless you just happen to stay, and, and they do. They've got great rooms. Uh, in fact, I, they were here exhibiting, talking about Blog World Expo, so I get to talk to Rick Calvert. Uh, and Dave sinking um, on different occasions, and I think they've got a rate of like 109 bucks or something for you to stay right at the at the Mandalay Bay. Includes internet access. Bob, I sound like a walking ad, but uh, mm -hmm. but it, it you know it it sounds like they've put it together in a way that makes it really affordable for people and very convenient. Of course, you're at the Mandalay Bay, which means you're way down at the other end of the strip as opposed to you know where they were previously. But uh, but I think it'll work out. So. So those are those are my um, those are my complaints about South by Southwest. I, I think the organizers now that you know, I think over the last two years, South by Southwest Interactive has doubled or more than doubled in size. So uh, I think now they they kind of have to rethink the whole popularity contest session picker thing and 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 maybe use that as guidance, but but exert more influence and. And and simply more control over what sessions get uh, get selected and and how that thing works out because it at the end of the day it is their job it's not the attendees' job to pick things it's you know it's their job to kind of shape and and form this thing and it it you know it it feels very it feels too organic now um, it, you know there there shouldn't be this wide range of quality there was a a, a keynote by. Um, Evan Williams, which is one of the founders of Twitter, right? He was also the founder of, uh, of blogger.com back in the day, of course. And it was terrible. Uh, it was an interview with Evan. Uh, the guy doing the interview, it was clearly a very scripted interview, and it was the driest thing I've ever seen. And that, that, just, that just shouldn't be allowed to happen at a show where, where people are you know, paying a lot of attention, flying all this distance, paying good money to, to come here. You know, they've got they've to sort that out. All that said... Uh, there were a lot of good sessions too mixed in and uh, and i and I have had a, a valuable time here um, I, saw, I saw you know obviously saw a lot of great people, always good connections and and that sort of thing and uh, and I definitely will come back so you know it, 
it, I, I've picked out my complaints, but, it, but overall it was a positive experience. And I think the organizers know what the issues are. So they'll, they'll, uh, they'll sort that out going forward. Okay. Maybe I'll, uh, join you next year. The Texas kind of scares me, though. From what I understand, Austin is kind of a, a island of sanity in the middle of. <laughs> um, you know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call any part of Texas in insane. Um, but I would. but but every well, you got to come here before you can make that judgment, right? I know. Um, but you know, every what I will say is every major metropolitan area or every major city in in Texas is is radically different from any other city in Texas with the exception of they're all in Texas. And, and, and there is that sense of Texas pride, uh, that, that sort of permeates everything. And, you know, Texas, all the, it, it's interesting, you know, after, and of course, you know, I, I lived here, uh, in from 95 to 2000 and the first in thing Austin. in Austin. Yep. And the first, the first thing Lisa, Lisa and I noticed when we got here was that all the advertising, everything was about, Texas. It would, you know, Coke ads were built toward Texas, Chevy ads built toward Texas. It was not, you know, in, in the New York metropolitan area, which of course is where you live and where I grew up, you know, you get these very national focused ads. Uh, and that, that was not the case here, you know, and, and they, they definitely play up to that Texas pride and it's a good thing. It, it's very, it, it, it was one of the things that really drew us here was that, uh, that sense of pride in, in, in where one lives. So. Um, but every, but every city in Texas is different. So if you visit one and you don't like it, uh, don't swear the state off. Like I almost did. We visited Dallas and, and, uh, before we lived in Austin and I swore it off. I said, no, I, I have no interest in going back to Texas. It just wasn't, Dallas just wasn't for me. And, uh, thankfully we, we listened to yeah. reason and, and checked out elsewhere and it was, no, again, I may uh, try it. No, I'm just kidding. I have a lot of good, uh, Twitter and, uh, other friends that, uh, live in Texas and, uh, yeah, it's a place to check out. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, you missed the excitement here, Dave, and then we're going to move on here. But boy, you missed the uh, you missed the big storm here. Oh my gosh, my my neighbor's house shingles blew off the roof. We got the high winds that you you were blessed with. Um, oh my gosh, you you it was, got it was winds. You got high winds, but let's be fair, they weren't nearly as high as those we were blessed with. No, they were only about sixty miles an hour yeah. versus ninety miles an hour. Because <laughs> it was funny yesterday, my doorbell rang, and I'm like, oh, not another, and and it was. <laughs> a roof inspection service and he's like yeah how's it going and i'm oh, like well smart. i got a new roof i got a new roof dude but you may want to talk to my neighbors because i was picking up shingles from my neighbor's yeah. house yeah. uh from my yard yeah. <laughs> apparently they didn't do a very good job because i could see the second layer so anyways right. but it was creepy man i mean i actually heard my house creak oh yeah yeah it, that, it is scary when the wind gets cooking like that i i actually to, to be fair i i missed both storms right i obviously missed and this one did head up to new hampshire and and actually uh, you know, it was about the same as, as what you saw. It was, you know, 40, 50 mile an hour gusts. But um, thankfully, you know, because we'd had the 90 mile an hour gusts two weeks ago, all the trees that were going to come down, had, yeah. they'd already come down. <laughs> yeah. And ours did come down. Our, our town yeah. got hit uh, way more than anything else in Fairfield County. And, and yeah. But I, I, I maintained power. I didn't lose power. It was, uh, you know, a few things blew over in the yard. But other than that, I made through it. That's great. And with that, Dave, let's move on. Let's move on. That's right. Um, let me find their agenda here. I'm always a little bit out of sorts when we do this on the road because I don't have a printed paper agenda that I can always just grab and refer to. Uh, but what I do want to do is talk about our first sponsor here. And that sponsor is GoToAssist Express at GoToAssist.com slash Gab. What this product does... If any of you out there have ever helped or tried to help uh, a friend, client, family member from remote, you know how frustrating that can be over the phone when you're playing the operator game, right? And you're, you're on the phone and you're trying to you know, have this person on the other end be your hands and your eyes, uh, but not really overthink anything and just do and tell you. And, and it, you know, it, it's a frustrating experience because there's no way that they're going to be able to tell you everything they're seeing because they're not looking for it the same way you are. And let's be fair. There's times when they're going to go ahead and try and click something uh, that you haven't told them to click and they're just doing it out of habit. And of course it could very well be that bad habit that's causing their problems in the first place. So, uh, so it can be a very trying experience, especially if it's a family member where you can't, you know, maybe the relationship isn't such that you can tell them, Hey, knock it off. You know? Uh, so, uh, 
you know, this is where remote access software comes in to play. And GoToAssist Express is something that John and I have tried here. And I was very impressed with how smooth the whole thing was. I, I set up as the controller and John was the controlly. And so I went into my GoToAssist Express uh, account and I set up a session and it blasted a link to John via email or, or it gave me the link and I sent it to him via Skype, whatever. But it, it gave him a link to open in his web browser, something just about everyone that uses a computer today uh, can manage. Maybe you need to give them a little help mm-hmm. but over the phone, but, but it's a fairly straightforward process. As soon as you open the link, uh, essentially you agree to be controlled, and then it starts up a session. And it navigated through our respective routers and firewalls without any, any real problem and no real fanfare. It just simply worked. Once we were connected, uh, as we've said before, John had the ability to see everything I was doing, and he also had a big red button on his screen to turn off the remote access session if ever you know we entered some area where he's like, oh, "I'm done. I, you know, I don't want to go here." Boom, uh, you know, totally under control. So this is go to Assist Express at gotoassist.com. Now, if you visit gotoassist.com/gab, you get a free 30-day trial of Go to Assist Express. Again, that's gotoassist.com slash gab for go to assist express and with that i think it's time to move along to our first question of the day does that sound right john uh, that sounds great okay Um, i think that would be danny danny and danny writes uh he says i just got a mac mini 2.26 gigahertz 160 gigabyte drive and i got a drobo uh connected to it Uh, and my questions are one should I use two partitions for the Drobo, one for Time Machine and the other one for my data? Or should I have a separate external hard drive for Time Machine? Number two, how to make my Mac Mini look for my user data on the Drobo instead of my local hard drive? Ah, okay. So um, this is interesting. And really, uh, neither of these is specific to a Drobo. It's just, you know, let's, in, in, in this instance, let's treat the Drobo as an external uh, hard drive. So, okay. is that the case? I'm, I'm unfamiliar. But, but uh, will the Drobo? So, if you do want to partition a drive, does the Drobo just appear as any other external device, as far as this utility is concerned? Uh, you're going to set it up with uh, with the Drobo utility. Okay. Um, it, but but the 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 concept is the same. Yes. Yeah. So. Uh, so I think if you are going to put time machine data on a Drobo, it is imperative that you have a separate partition just for time machine. And the reason is, as we've talked about before, and this is true on, on any any external drive, if you're going to have other data on it, and the Drobo is a, a drive that can expand and all this stuff, uh, so chances are you are going to use it for something other than just a single purpose. Uh, then I highly recommend partitioning the drive because Time Machine will take over the whole thing. Uh, it will eventually just fill up the drive. That's that's how it's built. Um, did, now, how do you, you? Oh, you you have Time Machine on your time capsule, John, and that's the only thing you do. Is that right on that? Uh, with well, the time well, well, occasionally. Well, the thing is, right now, is that it's much larger than the hard. Well, for now, I mean, right now, my hard drive in my MacBook Pro, which I, I sync to the. Uh, Time capsule or time machine it has it has about a three hundred gigabyte drive and I have a one terabyte. So right now, when I look at it, it about half of it is utilized, and that will keep growing. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that leads me to the suggestion. You know what? So he has a one sixty gigabyte drive in his machine, and what? And and I use just as a general guideline. I, I have no scientific basis for this, but okay. I'd say he probably wants to allocate maybe about three hundred gigs for the partition. Uh, don't allocate one sixty. Right. Right. I would say don't allocate. The, the drive uh, the size of the drive in the machine that you want to back up I'd, I'd double it and with hard drives being relatively cheap um, you know relatively um, I would suggest the 320 gigabyte partition for his uh, for time machine I think use. that sounds right think? yeah okay. it, it, it gives you some headroom it gives you the ability to to store some uh, older data out there and have have an archive uh, of, of all that stuff so yeah I, I would I would go with that double double the size is good. Double the size is good, um, but yeah, if it, you know, you definitely want to do that. I wish Apple would give us the opportunity in uh, the Time Machine preferences 
to, or even some third party come up with a way to do this, but there just isn't to limit the amount of space that time machines going to consume for any given computer's backup. But that simply doesn't exist yet. So. Right. Well, we discussed, I think there is a way to, if it does a sparse image, there is a way to resize the sparse image, but it kind of re-resizes it. it exactly. Yeah. You yeah. can't, it's not reliable because it will, it will change it, it, You can go in and change the attributes of the smart image or the, the, the sparse image. Thank you. Um, but, but yeah, exactly. Time machine will also change those attributes. Uh, so yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't work out all that well. Uh, so yes, that's that's number one. Now, number two, what Danny wants to do is put his user folder or his home folder uh, on an external drive. And this is possible. Um, it, it gets a little tricky, but it's possible. So what you do is you go into system accounts uh, and then highlight the account that you want to use. If you have to uh, look at the bottom of the screen and and if the lock is locked, you need to click it and unlock it by typing in your user or an administrator password. And then from here, you right-click on the user account in question and choose Advanced Options. This gets dangerous, uh, but there is one section in there called Home Directory, and you can choose a new home directory, and that can be uh, on an external drive, and this, this works just fine. So uh, have you done this before, John? I've heard of other people doing it. No, I, I typically keep my home folder on the same uh, same drive as the uh, as everything else. Okay, so, I, I, uh, I know there's a Mac OS X hints article uh, that that kind of details this process and, and goes through some of it. So we can we can find that and link to it just to just to flush out the the concept. But yes, it is it is possible. It, it's not it's not intuitive at all. But but the option is there. Don't change anything else in that list. Uh, and don't be tempted to change your short username there. There, there are other ways of changing. There are ways of changing your short username. If you do it there, it will break uh, your machine. So don't, uh, don't, don't outsmart yourself. <laughs> um, well, it's one of the few dialogues I've seen. It actually has lettering in red saying "warning." You could screw things up. Well, it doesn't say that, but it's a warning. You can screw things up if you change any of these. So yeah, just be careful out there. Yeah. <laughs> what is this Hill Street Blues? Um, could be, it could be. All right, are we moving on to Christian, John? We have we have we have a bunch yes. of time machine things to go through here. Okay, so Christian writes, I was wondering if you could help me. I've been using my Mac for three and a half years now, and been using Time Machine since I got Leopard Mac OS ten point five. My Time Machine backup is now reaching a point where it is very quickly running out of room. I was wondering what is the best way to transfer all of my old Time Machine backups from a two hundred fifty gigabyte drive to a five hundred gigabyte drive. I've been looking on forums on the net, on the support forums, and all the other forums, and I've found what I, what I, uh, and I've and all I've found was it is not possible uh, in this solution. And he goes through a couple of a couple of steps: uh, going into system preferences, turn off Time Machine, mount both drives, use Disk Utility to restore from one to the other uh, using Source as your old disk and Destination as your new disk, and then start the process. So uh, what Christian wants to know, John, is, is this the right way to do this? Now, I think you've been, you've been through something similar to this. Is that right? Well, I'll suggest another way that I found out. Okay. So, um, I think uh, that would work. I think what Christian talks about would work um, in theory. So. Yeah, from what I know, disutility using that facility will capture all of the, the drive data and transfer it reliably. Another way to do this that I noticed, and, and actually I was prompted to do this because someone uh, – someone, uh, uh, tweeted this and it made me very nervous. He's like, "Oh my, oh my gosh, my my time machine drive died." And I'm like, "I had that oh. happen." I'm like, "Okay, that's time for me to back it up." And how do you back it up? You ask. Well, if you go to Airport Utility, at least with the time capsule, um, and you go to the Discs tab, and then there's a Discs sub tab, it will show you your time capsule drive, and there's a little button, Archive. Um, that will basically take all of the data on the time capsule. Well, what you got to do also, so I unplugged my USB printer and plugged in a, an external USB drive, and it'll basically suck everything out of the drive in the time capsule and throw it onto that external drive. And then that will be a faithful reproduction of what's on the machine at that point in time, and then you can take that and drag it over to your new drive as well. I, I think that's another way to go about this. Okay, uh, so 
just for clarity, it's when you do that, it's creating a disk image on this USB drive, or it's actually just cloning the whole disk. In my case, it, it yeah created a image file. An image file. Okay. 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 And you could take that image file and restore that to another drive using the same disk utility uh, path, but instead of choosing a, a disk as your source, you you just point to the image file, and it will take that uh, and restore it back. You know, Time Machine. It does some interesting things with the structure of the drive. If you if you go and dig in there, you'll see in the folders that there are a lot of files that appear to be duplicated. They're not. It's the it's the same file. It's just multiple entries in the directory or in the table of contents that point to exactly the same spot on the on the actual disk. And this is how it it keeps iterations of what have what you've had on the drive without actually having multiple copies of everything and, and making copies every time it backs up. So uh, the, the, the problem with that is you can't just take it and copy it because then you will have multiple copies of everything and it would be a big mess. You've got to do this restore where it's actually, actually going through and, and preserving the file system as well as the files themselves. Does that that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. The only thing with this archive feature, and I noticed this, is that the, the at least the uh, the backup capability of the device is pretty much it, it's pretty much thinking about this, so it, it will not um, do backups while it's doing this archive operation. It, mm. It'll still operate. It's still operated as a uh, wireless base and, and a router, but uh, you know when my machine tried to go to it, it was like, oh, oh, sorry, busy writing data out to the external drive. Go away. Okay. Well, and the light cool. turns yellow on the front. So, and and it takes uh, you know depending on how much data it can take several hours to do that. But um, sure, sure. Archive. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. It, you know, time machine drives or time capsule drives uh, specifically are not immune to failure like anything. So uh, uh, yeah, I had a I had the drive in my time capsule die. I, I had not backed it up, and I wasn't really all that concerned about it. I I don't rely on the time capsule for. Um, for age-old backups, I you know I I rarely need to go through and and find anything like that. So it didn't really freak me out all that much. I just had you know Apple replaced the drive and then I got it home and everybody rebacked up again. Uh, so, but it is important to know that if that data is useful to you know if 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 having a file. Uh, that you have, you know, modified, uh, you know, if having the 10-day-old version of that file accessible to you is important, remember that your time capsule is a single point of failure on that if you have not backed it up, right? Right, John? The, uh, the You know, if, if that's the only place that file exists, then you might as well assume it doesn't exist. You know, any file that's only in one spot can at any time go away. You know, we we can almost uh, I, I skyped you a little message here. That this almost causes me to want to address a question that's a little later in the agenda. Yeah. All right. Um, I don't know if we necessarily need to to play it back, or if you can find it. Sorry I think to... I can find it. Yeah. Let's let's play the question. We do have one more uh, time machine question after this, but but this is good. Yeah. Go ahead. Hey, Mackie. I got caught. The hard drive that I was using for my iTunes library. And, well, ended up going up in smoke. You know, it was important to play that audio comment because you could just hear the sadness in his voice. And I, and I, and I, I don't mean to, to make fun of that. I, I mean no. to, to use it to impress upon all of us, not, not just you folks, but John and I as well. I mean, none of us are immune to losing data. And, you know, it's interesting the external iTunes library is something that we all, uh, many of us do, and it's hard to, you know, it, it's easy to forget that that could also be a single point of failure. Now, for me, I actually do have my external iTunes library backed up to my time capsule, uh, but I also have it backed up to my 160 gigabyte iPod. Uh, so, you know, if, if the data is there, there is a way to slurp that back in. But uh, but yeah, you could just hear it in his voice, man. That that I I really feel for him. Uh. <laughs> yeah, and to your point, um, so one nice thing that that I think you know iTunes didn't have at the beginning, but now does, as you pointed out, Dave, is that it'll do a backup of the contents of the device. So you have, um, as you pointed out, when we say single point of failure, I guess what we're saying is don't have just 
one version of some data that you count on, whether it be your music or your documents or your finances or whatever. And as Dave and I both, and actually, uh, uh, I saw John Gruber actually had had a meltdown as well, and he he did a very nice article that I think you know pretty much says what we've been saying: have multiple backups. And he not only suggested, you know, Time Machine, which I think is one of the best things Apple came out with um, because it kind of makes it a, a no-brainer to do it. Yep. Um, use something like I use Carbon Copy Cloner. You use Super Duper. Um, but then he also suggested something with, which we've talked about before, and I've never used it really for backup. But why the heck not? Um, Dropbox. Oh, absolutely. I, it, John and I, as it turns out, uh, he and I had never talked about this, but but uh, but John and I have e- exactly the same backup strategy in place. And of course, we talked about this, you know, in in our last episode. But yeah, the idea of using Dropbox as an in the cloud backup, um, it, 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 and also it, very easy to sync, uh, you know, among all my multiple Macs. So yeah, it's 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 definitely the way to go. Way better than iDisk. Uh, way more reliable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I only have five. Uh, well, actually, it's more than I have on my iDesk. But uh, yeah, right now I have the uh, the the, the cheapy uh, free option, which is uh, I think I have five and a quarter gigs. But you can buy more if you want. Yeah, yeah, they're happy to they're happy to let you do that, which is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so we've done that. We've done that one. Oh, we have two more questions, right? Kirk. Yeah. All right. Good. Back to time machine. Uh, Kirk writes. I have a question related to Time Machine. I'm getting married soon, and I will be interested in keeping all our data backed up. The only piece is, and you know, I, I reckon, I'll, I'll interject here. I recommend that regardless of whether or not you're married, that you back up your data. Uh, <laughs> the, the only pieces of relevant hardware are two MacBooks and an Airport Express. I'd like to continue using my Airport Express as my router since our needs are modest. Obviously, I need another hard drive to make use of Time Machine. My question is... Is there any piece of hardware that can wirelessly sit on the network and host a storage device that can be hacked to work with Time Machine? Do you know of any budget devices for simply getting a drive to talk to the rest of the network? I know it's far-fetched and somewhat cheap of me, but I'd like to see if it's doable. Okay. Um, so here's my thing. Um, no, I, there's nothing cheap. I mean, I don't know what you mean by cheap. But, you know, you're going to spend a couple hundred bucks to to do this. Uh, And to put a device that's only connected to the entire network via a wireless connection that's going to be your backup hard drive is a really bad idea. And here's why. Wireless networks, uh, everything consumes bandwidth, right? So if you're writing... If if your computer is connected wirelessly and the backup drive is also connected wirelessly, you're effectively, and I know I'm oversimplifying here, but you're effectively cutting your bandwidth to and from that drive in half. Uh, and it 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 and also there's the potential unreliabilities of wireless, uh, you know, connections. So you've got this backup drive out there that's subject to not one, but two wireless connections working properly, its connection, and then the connection from whatever drive you're, you're using to write to it. Uh, so for that reason alone, I actually recommend instead of spending your money on some third party wireless network attached storage device that, you know, you then going to have to hack to work with time machine. Uh, I recommend getting if you don't want to splurge for an airport uh, for a time capsule, uh, then I do recommend getting an airport express. No, an airport extreme. You have an airport express, which will not let you connect a hard drive to my knowledge, but get an airport extreme and you can connect a hard drive to that. You still get a hack time machine to make it work because Apple's, uh, set it up that way. But if you've already got the hard drive, then, then it's probably more economical to do that. If you don't already have the hard drive, you know, you're probably getting pretty close to the price of a time machine, a time capsule, and and then you're in a fully supported world. But either way, you want to do it where the uh, the hard drive has a wired connection to the router in some way, shape, or form, either USB wired or Ethernet wired or something along those lines. So that's that's my that's my advice on that one. Would you have anything? I know you have something to add, John. <laughs> well. Well, I'm I'm perfectly happy with the uh, the time capsule, and uh, and I'm looking here, and it looks like you can score a one terabyte for three hundred bucks, I think. So, um, actually, let me look right here. I'm right at the Is that right? store. Time capsule, 
Time Capsule, one terabyte, two ninety nine retail from Apple, and I've seen it for a little less from some other places online. So I think the price has come down a bit. I think I got it when it first came out, so paid a premium. But they now have one and two terabyte. So, so from Apple, two ninety nine for one terabyte, four nine. Okay, well, four ninety nine for two terabytes. I guess okay. you're paying a premium for a larger drive, but of course. Um, yeah, but you know, one terabyte is going to be plenty for, for him and his wife, I would think. I mean, one terabyte is plenty, and I've got five computers that I'm backing up at home. So, yeah. So it, it kind of irks me, though, that they, they introduced and then pulled the uh, ability to uh, link it to a uh, – well, I guess they're, they're marketing the products did, to different audiences. Well, did they ever – I guess they did for a brief time – at least unofficially have support for or unofficially allow time machine to back up to what what's called an air disc, which is a, a disc hanging off of an airport extreme base station. Right. Um, that the problem was, and I, I know a lot of people that, that did this and you can with one, you go back to the, 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 or if you're not a premium subscriber, you got to uh, subscribe. But there, there was a discussion about the terminal that we had in, a recent episode where, uh, you know, we discussed using one of those defaults commands where you just go to the terminal and you type this defaults command. And that's all it takes to allow unsupported drives to work with Time Machine. The problem is there was something about the airport circuitry uh, or the, 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 the firmware or something in the process with the airport extreme that made it flaky for Time Machine backups. Pilot Pete went through this. Uh, we had a couple listeners write in that went through this where the backups would just stop working or it would fail in the middle. It would take a really long time. Um, so I think that may be why Apple stopped supporting it. Um, I, I don't know. They they never really spoke out on the on the matter. So Yeah. The other nice thing is that, you know, you could go for the low-end time capsule. And I verified this when I was exploring that archive command. I, I verified this, is that the external drive that I had plugged in also showed up as a potential target for right. uh, for time machines. So, so it's um, yeah. So it's it's supported. So maybe that's another strategy. You get the the you know time capsule one terabyte or maybe smaller if uh, if they're out there and used, and uh, then maybe attach your own larger uh, external drive. Yep. Yep. All right. Cool. Uh, let's let's do this last time machine question here from Brian John. First of all, I love the podcast. I'm kind of new to Mac, switched over from Windows about a year ago. Um, and with all the podcasting I've been listening to, I've been trying all kinds of these and that's on my iMac and starting to act a little bit funky. So I was thinking about, uh, well, two things. One is installing a new uh, hard drive, a bigger hard drive. And second, reinstalling uh, Snow Leopard. And then my big question comes where Time Machine kicks in uh, you always say that make backups and then you can just push it back but i don't really want to push back everything the way it is because i don't want it to act funky again how hard or how easy or how do i actually do just take individual items off of time machine and, and put it on my my new uh my new drive like fusion wear and handbrake and all that or just better off just to go and do a clean new install with all those programs like i had before thanks a lot and this is where you cut me off Emails B E Santo. All right. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a little tough to get these cutoffs right with the with the mobile rig, uh, but we did have a nice test of this during the last power outage. But uh, it's working okay, it seems. Um, it, yeah. So the um, uh, I'm trying to think of where to go with this one. Uh, well, I don't. I, I I want to understand what he means by manually restore. If he okay. means uh, so, I inter. Well, I could interpret it one of two ways. One is to mount the image or sparse image and drag stuff from that. The, the other, and I think this is what he meant, is to run the time machine, and then pull the stuff off using the the official time machine interface. Oh which, yeah, I didn't even which, think about the second option. <laughs> which to me. Um, I guess the only challenge, um, and it depends on how well you know the layout of your applications is right. that typically if you just drag over the uh, although apple does a nice job of bundling everything together and that it you know as a package even though it appears as a single icon or program it's really a package with a whole bunch of stuff buried in it and if you want to see this you can right click on a lot of things and say show package contents and it'll show you what's in it but um unless you know the other supporting files which could be preferences, which could be application support and your library folder and some other things, yep. you may not properly reconstitute your application. So if, if you're comfortable knowing the layout of all the pieces, 
then you can certainly do that. But, but my caution would be you may not get them all, in which case things will get wonky. That, that's my take. Yeah, in this situation, so there's, yeah, there's two things to talk about. One is the how and one is the what, right? So in addressing how, uh, I would say you're safe mounting the drive or the disk image, however, it's, it's however time capsule or time machine has configured it, and, and go into the drive that you want and go into the current folder or latest, and that'll show you uh, the, the, the most recent version of your hard drive. And you can just drag things and copy them. You don't want to start moving things around there. But, uh, but you can copy them from, from that drive to another drive, and, and it'll work fine. Uh, it, you know, you, 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 it's the same thing as doing it with Apple's, you know, crazy spacey interface. Uh, but you can just copy files out of there. But uh, it, you made a very good point, John. You got to know what to copy. And honestly, the only thing, if I was going to do that, Brian, and I was going to bother to rebuild things specifically, uh, I would not copy over any applications. I would reinstall those from scratch, uh, you know, redownload them reinstall the latest version, let it rebuild its own preference file uh, and all that. Uh, again, rebuilding all of its support files or whatever it needs to do. Uh, that's what I would do. And then, and then I would just copy documents over using, um, and, and even that you could arguably do with migration assistant. But if you do want a final level of controller, you want to know exactly what's come back. Uh, Apple does not provide a way to do that uh, other than, you know, man manually by copying or with the, the spacey time machine interface. So, yeah, you know, I was actually working with something. So, so another uh, uh, mini tangent. Uh, I'll do this very quickly, but but um, there are apps, um, and I've actually been using one as of late because I, I've been trying to clean up my machine because I want to be clean and mean like you, Dave. Um, and there's something called App Trap that's a very nice free uh, system preference. And this thing, I, I don't know quite how it does it, but basically what it does is when you throw an application away. It'll dig through it, and I can actually see what it's doing in the console a little bit and say, whoa, 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 hey, there's these other pieces here. And it could be application support, preferences, stuff like that. So you want me to throw this stuff away too? Yep. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Otherwise, you get all this cruft left over. Um, and Hazel, right, is the other program ah, that we keep right. saying we've got to check out, and that, that does a very similar uh, thing. Yep. Yeah, the thing is, I'm not aware of anything that, that would do this in reverse, which is what I'm leading to, which is <sighs> if you got an... Is there something that could look well, in an app and say, oh, by the way, you know, if you're going to copy this app over, and it seems that these things could be engineered to do that, do you want to drag over the, you know, application support and the library and the system preferences and whatever pieces constitute this application? I mean, the knowledge is in a lot of these apps. And maybe there's something and, out there I just haven't run across yet. I don't think there is something like that out there, but but you, you hit upon the kind of the key to it is that the knowledge is in these apps. And I don't think the knowledge is unique to these apps. I think Hazel and App Trapper and, and, and many of the others uh, subscribe to a common database that keeps all this stuff. Now, I, I didn't know we were going to go here, so I didn't research the database. And I am petrified of doing anything that uses bandwidth because as, as many of you might have heard, uh, as John was talking before and his signal got crummy, it was because my email started to check and, of course, soaked up the uh, very limited bandwidth that we have here at the hotel. So I had to quit that. So I can't look this up, <clears throat> but, but I think there, there is some, there's got to be some database out there where you could go through and say, okay, if I'm going to copy Handbrake, what else do I need to copy? If I'm going to copy VMware, you know, what are the supporting files? And then you can go get those. Yeah, it makes it a very tedious and manual process, but it, you, you know, you're in fine-tuned control with that which you're bringing over. So. Ready to move on, John? Ready. Okay, uh, I do want to talk about our second sponsor called Circus Ponies. Uh, and at circusponies.com, they have a notebook, version three. Notebook is a way to organize information on your computer. What you do is you create uh, separate notebooks for individual either topics or subjects or projects or really anything you've got going on. Let's say, you know, Easter's coming up, right? And you're having a bunch of people over to the house. So you want to create an Easter notebook. And in that notebook, you could have one uh, heading of all the people you're going to invite. And then by each of their names, you can put, yes, if they've RSVP'd or, or whatever. And then you could have another heading, uh, the meal, right? What am I going to cook? You know, how am I going to prepare the uh, spiral cut ham? And, and then you could even have another list of what do I need to get? And when do I need to get it? 
uh, you know, I got to go to the, the butcher shop and I've got to get the ham and I've got to do this and you've got to prepare the potatoes or whatever it is you're going to do. Uh, and you can build all this together into a notebook. And let's say you have a special recipe for some kind of sweet potatoes that you're going to do. And you found that on the web and now you've saved it as a PDF. Well, you can pull that PDF in and then you can even mark up the PDF inside of notebook so that you could, uh, you know, if, if, if there's some modification you want to make to the recipe or if you remember, oh, yeah, the last time I did this, I doubled it, but I, I tripled this one thing and it really worked out well. So you put that in and now you've got it. So all of this can can be contained inside of notebook. And the cool thing is it's got this search engine so you can search for different items uh, that appear without, you know, having to drive yourself crazy and just manually scan through. So notebook from circusponies.com, it is uh, $49.95, but you're entitled to a 30-day free trial, which would actually get you through Easter, if my math is right. Uh, and then, uh, and then once you're hooked, of course, you can go back to circusponies.com and purchase it for $49.95. So that's all available at circusponies.com. Now, John, you have, uh, it, 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 an interesting thing has happened recently. You're starting to use, uh, you've started to use Apple's mail. Uh, <laughs> there, there's the, you know, the, the things uh, on which we have fundamental usage disagreements, you're starting to use, well, you're starting to use iCal. We'll still have a fundamental usage disagreement, but you agree with me that it sucks even though you're using it. So, uh, you know, we're, we're having this problem here where there's, you know, there's less friction for us to, to just by default have. We've got to go out of our way to... Uh, we'll, we'll find something. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but using mail, you, it's cool. Um, the, and the benefit is that you're using it as a brand new user, which is really, really tough for someone that's been using the Mac for so long. It's rare to find somebody that's new to Apple Mail, even though you're very, very comfortable, obviously, with uh, with the Mac. So you're finding some things that that uh, certainly I'd never noticed before. So it's oh, cool. Okay. So yeah, go ahead. Uh, you uh, you 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 noticed a couple of things. Yeah. Well, one thing I found. So for example, now and and th- this may have been possible in Eudora, but I never explored it. But what I've done is organized my mail. So for example, um, I have two folders, mail folders to find. Um, one for. Um, our sponsored email, which is feedback at macgeekapp.com, and we'll, we'll remind you of that later. Wait, wait, wait. F- Did you say feedback <laughs> at macgeekapp.com? I absolutely said feedback at macgeekapp.com. <laughs> and then another premium, which is for our, our uh, paid show. And um, what I do is I sort those out because it makes sense to do so because sometimes it, it organizing you know, the, the work I do beforehand, it makes sense to indicate you know which address I came to. Uh, now, one thing that was counterintuitive to me is... Um, so I have a podcast folder, and then I have these two subfolders. Um, okay. And it basically, there's a rule based on the destination address. So I set up a rule saying, okay, if you see feedback at com, put it in this one folder. If you see premium, put it in the other folder. And Mail does this wonderfully. Now, my expectation was that if I clicked on the higher-level Mail folder, it would show me the contents of the subfolders. Like mail the inbox not- will. Right. Yes. If you have multiple email accounts assigned, you get that unified inbox and unified yes. sent and unified trash and all that stuff. But you're right. Doing that with the, the any manual folders you've created does not work that way. So that was weird. So I'm like, you know, well, let me, let me try to uh, – let, let me just fumble around here and see if I can figure something out. And I, I stumbled across it. I didn't read any documentation. I was just going on instinct here. Some, but if I highlighted one of the folders, I would see all the mail in it. Of course. Well, here's what I did is I highlighted one of the folders, held down shift, or I guess you could also hold down uh, uh, command. Uh, command. And I highlight the other folder. In the display, I then had a super, what I'll call a super folder, and then it displayed the contents of both of those folders. And on the far right, it showed me um, which one it came from. So it gave me like a super view, and, and I would imagine you could do this with any mail folder. So on the one hand, I was kind of kind of annoyed that it didn't, when I clicked on the high-level folder, show me the contents of all the subfolders. On the other hand, this kind of gives you a level, I think, of flexibility in, depending on what you want to accomplish, you can click on any number of mail folders, and it'll show you the, you know, consolidated uh, uh, contents, and then I guess you can sort them uh, as you will in mail. So I thought that was kind of neat, and it was kind of unexpected, but uh, just thought I'd share that, because it was yeah. something I never really did before in Eudora. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. I I had no, you know, it makes perfect sense. I don't, when I did it, I thought, 
Oh, yeah. It, it made so much sense to me that I thought, oh, yeah, I've done this before. But it's, it's certainly not part of my workflow, you know, and, and I don't know if I'd ever done it before. But, you know, my brain just said, oh, yeah, of course that'll work, you know. But but it, it, at the same time, it was like, and it's a good thing you were reminded of that, you know. So uh, maybe I never really did know it before. So it was it, it, very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. So. And then, uh, and then you stumbled over one other very kind of cool thing. Yeah, and this um, uh, so uh, recently, um, you know, did the did the whole Mac Roundtable thing, uh, and and one thing that came up, one of our topics was uh, was privacy, um, specifically that um, if you don't already know this, but um, a, a lot of um, photos, uh, whether you're using a uh, iFi card, mm. which I use, and it embeds uh, GPS or GPS like data. The the iFi is not a GPS; it's Wi-Fi. Or uh, more and more cameras right now. I'm, I'm lo- also looking to upgrade my camera equipment. Will actually stamp GPS data in the photo. The iPhone the does, is, uh, and the iPhone does. Um, and I believe we discussed that as well. If you explicitly, at least once, I think permit it. I think uh, for the most part, iPhone or iPod Touch apps, if they draw on, I think it's called location services have to ask the user, and you've probably seen this, sometimes it gets annoying, it says, hey, this app wants to use your location, is that okay? And you can say allow or, or no. Right. Um, the thing is, sometimes you may intentionally or unintentionally have location data in a photo, and depending on the, the situation, you may not want the world to know this. And I think there have been some cases where people have inadvertently revealed their location by posting a photo and not realizing the data is in there. Yeah. So I've been looking at this, too, because there are some photos that I post where I'd, I'd rather not have the location known. Uh, wait, wait, you don't want, you don't want uh, people reading your, your photo blog to target their nuclear weapons at your home? Pretty much, yeah, you know, stuff okay. like that. They know you're I in Fairfield. S- I think they could probably get you. <laughs> uh, yeah, and same thing, you know. If, uh, but anyways, yeah, no, I, I, get, I, wanna, I, I get it. Yeah, yeah. I want to make sure my enemies, you know, make it as uh, stay one step ahead of my uh, my enemies. <laughs> but anyway, so what I noticed then on on my MacBook Pro is that um, so I right clicked, and I, I think it's because I did a recent installation of a program, but I right clicked on a photo, and all of a sudden I noticed in the services menu there was a choice saying remove metadata. Like, huh? I never cool. noticed that before. I don't think I've ever seen that there. The thing is, I was wondering who the heck is giving me that service. And I couldn't fi- – well, I could figure it out because as it turns out, if I clicked on that choice, it would launch uh, a particular program. Okay. Um, but the other way to find out who owns and who offers – so rather than doing a contextual menu, which is just a right-click from the finder, I noticed this. If you click on a file, go to the finder menu and choose services, you will get uh, uh, what I'll call an enhanced services menu. And one thing that it adds that the contextual menu does not – is a little icon showing you the application that offers you the service. So right now, for example, I'm right-clicking on a picture, and I see a number of options here. So I see one, pictures, and it shows a little automator guy, the little guy holding the pen. Files and folders, I see a number of things here, and remove metadata is among them, and next to it is the icon for graphic converter. There's also an icon here for send by you send it, and then make a new email attachment, and it shows the mail icon. So I guess the tip is, if you want to know who's, um, who owns what's in the services menu, um, do it through Finder and services rather than a contextual menu. But, um, but it was also nice because, yeah, I verified that he, the uh, graphic converter, which is like the Swiss Army knife of graphic tools that I think you and I have been both using forever. Forever. Um, I think that functionality has been in there for ages, and I just never knew it. Yeah. So, and it dutifully strips out all of the extraneous location data uh, perfectly. I actually uh, applied it to some of the things on my iDisk, and it, you know, it's, it's kind of slow because it's over the web. But uh, it pulled all that data out, and just the photo and you know, a few other things are in there. So oh, that's good cool. stuff. Well, that's cool. Oh, that's great. That's great. Um, all right. Let's um, – I, I want to do – there were a couple of things I wanted to get through here in the show. Um, one because it was kind of a cool question and then the other because it's it's very relevant to me and a problem I'm having and I would love any help anybody has uh but we need to uh we need to get moving I'm actually moving hotels today I stayed south of the city for interactive which was fine because there's always parking available and it's no big deal to get in and out of the city but during the music festival uh parking becomes the the Achilles heel, if you will, of uh, of traveling to Austin or even being in Austin and is why most Austin residents avoid South by Southwest like the plague uh, because parking downtown is impossible. So I'm actually moving to a more expensive but far more convenient hotel uh, downtown for the remainder of the festival. But I have to check out in an hour 
which means we got to get moving. So I'm going to stop rambling here. Dale writes, I remember you talked about a network LAN test program that tests the speed of the network connection. I need to rearrange my ADSL router and switch time capsules, two of them, and six Macs, network printers and server and the Apple TV. Yikes. Your network's crazier than mine. I have your, uh, searched your site in Google, but I cannot find any reference to the simple network test software you talked about. Okay, I'm only interested in testing connection speed. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut to the chase on this, but, but I want to go through all the stuff that, that, we, that we prepped on. And, and what it is that I believe Dale's looking for is a piece of software called iPerf, I-P-E-R-F. And what iPerf does, <clears throat> it's terminal, command line only, We've got a link that, that shows you how to, uh, how to make it work. It's very, very straightforward. What you do is you set it up on two of your Macs. One Mac becomes the server, and the other Mac is the client. And so you set it up on the server Mac, and then you can go around to all the other Macs and run this little command uh, and tell it, you know, go connect to the one that's the server and do a network test. And it just blasts data across the network pipe, uh, and and we'll give you a, a real test of your network throughput. It's much better than doing, say, a finder copy of network data and then watching activity monitor or something like that because oftentimes the network will not be the slowest part of, of any sort of transfer. Uh, you know, you might have disk speed issues or if you're downloading from the internet, well, you know, you're going to see the limits of your internet connection speed as opposed to your local network speed. So uh, if you want to make sure that your gigabit Ethernet is working, uh, this is really the only tool that, uh, that does it. Now, the version of iPerf that, that I have found to link to the easiest one to get installed is a PowerPC binary, which means that all of us on Intel Macs, which my guess is is a majority, but may not, maybe not, uh, will have to run it and allow Rosetta on your computer. But it works fine in Rosetta. It does use a lot of CPU time when it's running. But uh, but it I, I have successfully tested all the way up to gigabit speeds with it on Intel Max and and haven't had any problems so so that's that's the stuff it's called iPerf I P E R F so but you found a couple other things that that are related John so. yeah a few things uh, though to me iPerf is the best way to do a point to point test yeah. Yeah. The, these other things I'm suggesting. Uh, the nice thing is that they're uh, free or low cost. Um, well, iPerf is free, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, though it sounds a bit, uh, you may need a certain level of expertise to get it to run. Un- unfortunately, you do. I, it would be great if somebody had a GUI wrapper for uh, for iPerf, but I have not yet found one. No. And I and I've searched. I mean, I haven't searched all that hard because I, you know, I'm okay with the terminal. But but I have on 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 the behalf of our listeners tried to find some sort of GUI version, and I haven't been able to. So. Okay, so a few things I'll suggest, um, and uh, they're the poor man or poor woman. Wait, maybe uh, this is a development project for you, John. Uh, certainly could be. Well, first I'm going to use try some Google Foo and see if someone else has done it. I, I gotta believe someone has done it. Okay, but maybe not. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it could be actually. This is it. This is it. We've 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 put you up on the pedestal of uh, of Mac Geekab official developer now. Thanks. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> okay, first place to go. I would try Activity Monitor, and there is a Network tab. This will show you, and I kind of like this option, because it shows you a nice little historical graph. It, it doesn't go on for too long, but it will show you data received per second and data sent uh, uh, throughput per second. And it shows you a peak value as well. So that's nice. The thing is, I don't think it discriminates as far as the traffic. It's just all the traffic coming into and out of the machine. So, so you may have to manage how you're hooking things up and how you're testing transfers, um, you know, uploading or downloading files. But hey, it's free and it shows you a cute little graph. Uh, right. Another tool that is great for just ongoing, and you and I, well, no, you, you actually jumped off the bandwagon, Dave. I'm still on the menu meters bandwagon. And they have a That's tiny That's only little... because you haven't tried iStat menus, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll forgive we'll, we'll, you for we'll, that. Slow, slow. slow. <laughs> I, I can only handle so much change in my life at once. <laughs> but anyways, menu meters still serves me faithfully, and it has both a transmit and receive bandwidth if you choose to put that in, in the meter. And right now it's showing, for example, here I see, you know, 7K receive, 4K uh, per second uh, transmit. Um, and if you click on the menu, it'll then give you a little more detail, including, I think, things like peak throughput and stuff like that. So menu meters is, is another option. Um, and then third, now this is a utility I think you and I have tried. Um, I haven't used that as of late, but it's, um, oh gosh, hold on. Uh, IP monitor, is it? Hold on. Hold IP on, net on. monitor? I'm sorry. Uh, let me get it. I can't here. look it up. 
because otherwise no, I got it. you'll I'm go just, No, it's just, it's just called NetMonitor. Okay. So we'll link to it. NetMonitor, I think NetMonitor is a bit more sophisticated than the things I mentioned in the past and that it can do, it can isolate traffic per interface. Mm. Um, so I think it's kind of between what I mentioned and, and what you mentioned, uh, Cool, Dave. So um, there's a whole bunch of things that, that uh, we offer you to uh, measure your uh, throughput and make sure your network's working right. Great. And, and then so Monday, we should be able to see a functional beta of the uh, GUI wrapper for iPerf. Is that right? Oh, I'm already done. Okay. I was writing it while you were talking. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I may want to approach this because, uh, you know... Um, Apple uh, Script Studio might be the trick for this one. I think Real Basic maybe. Oh, I bet you're right. Oh, Because yeah. I also have Real Basic. Um, I, I, uh, yeah, I mean, in, in my, my Windows life, um, uh, Visual Basic to me is a wonderful tool. And I think Real Basic uh, follows in its foot. It's a very nice, quick and easy visual tool to kind of do a high-level thing and, and, and then tap into low-level stuff. Um, right. I hate building GUIs and stuff from scratch, which typically tends to be the case. And I know... Um, you know, Xcode has a, uh, I forget the name of it. Maybe, uh, maybe you'll go to WWDC this year, and then after being indoctrinated into the ways of, of yeah, Objective-C, yeah. maybe you'll, uh, you're, maybe they'll be able to change your mind. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, Interface Builder, I think, is what they That's have. That's what it is. Which lets yeah. you build interfaces, and then you've got to kind of graft it into your application. But, but yeah, I mean, I'm a C type of guy. I mean, C is my favorite language. Uh, Objective-C is just the flavor that, that uh, Apple and Next just likes to use. Right. But yeah, so it... Uh, yeah, um, stay tuned. <laughs> okay, cool. All right, uh, Jeff writes, and I, I'm going to, I'll just read it because trying to, I, I, I'm having the same problem that Jeff is. And, and what's happening for both of us is when connecting to certain uh, network shares over AFP, which is the normal Apple file uh, sharing protocol that your machine would use to connect to, say, the drive hanging off of your Airport Extreme or your Mac OS X server or really even just another Mac, right? But he and I are not seeing this problem in the latter uh, thing. We're, we're both seeing it either connecting to a Mac OS X server or uh, a drive hanging off of the Airport Extreme, but not when connected to another Mac. And I, th I think that's an important distinction, perhaps. And the problem is uppercase, I'll mount a drive and the folders appear. And then before our very eyes, the names of the, the capital letters in those folder names start switching back and forth between capitalized and not capitalized and capitalized and not capitalized. And here's the thing. It doesn't happen with every folder. It only happens with certain ones. And then the contents of those folders do the same thing. Before you're very, you could have a hundred files there and they're all just constantly changing from capital to lowercase to capital to lowercase. And the problem is if you, let's say you open a folder uh, and then for whatever reason it changes uh, it, you know, from capital to lowercase, the folder goes away and the finder window closes because the folder you had open no longer exists. It's looking for a folder uh, that has uh, uh, the same name, but different capitalization. So <clears throat> This has been plaguing me with one of the folders on my uh, that I connect to on my Mac OS X server. It doesn't happen locally on the machine. And uh, I believe Jeff is seeing it on Mac OS X server as well as uh, when connecting to uh, an air disk or you know, a drive hanging off of his airport extreme. <clears throat> I, I haven't been able to figure it out. Uh, while we were talking about it pre-show, John, you had maybe a hint in the right direction. So I'll, I'll let you throw that in there. Um, uh, one hint is that normally, and I think most people, when you format a drive, it's formatted as Mac OS extended, uh, journaled, usually. And I think that's the default, and I think what most people should be using if you're using it with a Mac. However, there are a couple of different options that I noticed, and I'm, I'm speculating this may be the case um, on the server, and I don't know why this would happen, but anyways, I'll, I'll just jump right in. There are a couple of different formats, and, and the thing is, those formatting schemes do not maintain case in that right. if you have something, any combination of upper and lower case, and you try to create a duplicate, it's going to see it as the same thing. But there are some other formatting schemes. So one is UFS, which I think is somewhat uncommon. I think that's Unix file system. Yeah. But either Unix file system, or there is a Mac OS extended case-sensitive option when you format a drive. Now, I don't know why you would want to do this. I, I would tend not to. 
because you can run into these problems unless it's very important you to maintain case. But I'm thinking if the drive is formatted with either UFS or Mac OS extended case sensitive, you may see this behavior. Now, I don't know why it's magically changing things. Um, that that's another story, but but that this may be the the first part of the puzzle, Dave. Yeah, it might be. I, I, I once I get home, I will definitely check that that drive and see how it's formatted. I can you know you can look at it and tell. <clears throat> it seems very strange. It's a it's a wacky, frustrating, uh, interesting thing, and I'm I'm almost to the point where I'm just going to name everything lowercase, and it doesn't matter. But uh, but I'm not quite there. Uh, but where I am is in a hotel room where uh, I'm going to have a real problem soon uh, because they're going to throw me out and I'm not packed. So I think that's as good a time as any for us to move onward here, John. Contact information. Yeah, we already mentioned you can write us at feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Or if you're a premium subscriber, send it to premium at MacGeekGab.com so we know we have the option of, uh, of putting it in either show. 206-666-GEEK, which is 4335. And very quickly, if, uh, if you want to uh, Twitter us, I am John F. Braun. Dave, you are Dave Hamilton. Uh, the show uh, feed is MacGeekGab. Uh, the Mac Observer feed is, of course, Mac Observer. Yep. I think that's it. Pilot Pete, if you want to say hi to him, he's Pilot Pete. Uh, you can Skype us to Mac Geek Gab, and you can leave us iTunes comments. Michael Johnston, who converts this to AAC, also does the This Week in iPhone podcast, so go check that out. Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com, provides all the bandwidth to get the podcast from us to you. I wish they were providing the bandwidth in the hotel here, because then it would actually be good. But hey, it is what it is. Uh, the podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, Yojimbo from Barebones Software, PDF Pen, and actually Text Expander 3 from Smile on My Mac, Notebook from Circus Ponies, and GoToAssist Express at GoToAssist.com slash Gab, all through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And with that, it's time to go, John. I'm uh, I'm behind here. Go, go. I'm, I'm going. I'm trying. The show will not. Uh, well, you, you folks will know this once it's out. But uh, I'm I'm not going to have the time or the bandwidth here to upload. So once I'm at the new hotel tonight, I'll upload it from the MiFi. I think that'll work probably better. Yeah, you better get out of your room, Dave, because I think you're about to get caught. Made up.